Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Monday morning, the 11th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The conditions were perfect. The message was strong. Save our hospital and keep the emergency department open. An estimated 7,000 people protested in Navan, but despite the fine July weather, the turnout was smaller than the 10,000 people hoped for. People did make it clear, however, they do not want the emergency department to close, Despite the medical advice, keeping it open is not safe. Jerry is a, fi- is a fine man, he's an excellent sergeant, but sometimes sergeants don't make great communicators or great organisers. Jerry's a nice man, he's a decent man, but he's singing their tune. And I mean, Paul Reid is there, <clears throat> the minister told him twice in the last month, no. And the next thing is, on Friday, even there he is back on the television again, I'm closing it. I mean, Where's the common sense? You don't close something until you put something in its place. And right now, they have nothing to put in its place. Draw the, the staff and draw the staff and Connolly and everywhere else, they can't cope. And they want to put more into it. And I'm singing the same tune as everybody else because that's the only tune they can be sang because there's no other tune to sing. And I'd say, all right, as a taxpayers, as residents, as people of me with a hospital, don't close down something. It had more reports. It spent millions on reports as to putting that millions in the infrastructure in the hospital. Things need to change. Like my mother's thirty percent bow. If it wasn't for having hospital bring her there, she would have died in the ambulance trail to drop it. Like it just, it just does need to change. And everything about this is just completely wrong. It's sad to see in a growing population that, like. That they're thinking of even closing the like an A and E and trying to close, shut down the hospital completely. Like, like there's something behind this, and you want to get down to the bottom of it. I can walk up to it, you know, our ladies hospital. Where will we go if that's closed? You know, I mean, it's all right if you have a car or that, but you wouldn't know what to say about it. People dead and buried since it all started. I'm not into politics, but I think it's, it's not all the one thing that's going on. We don't know half of it. I mean, if they move everything from here up there, you're sitting above then for hours. Drada, go to Drada. I know I've nothing against Drada. I was in Drada last year, but 
I don't know. I was up there about six months ago. I didn't feel well. I have a pacemaker and I rocked up to the casualty. The treatment I got there, I mean, I got every test under the sun and I was there overnight. Do you know, I mean, where would I be going looking for it elsewhere? I suppose the plan is to move those services to Our Lady of Lords and to Blanchardstown. I mean, how, how feasible Lords. is that for you? You can't even, your hours, you could be the next day before you're even seen when you go over there. Like, I've heard of people going over and they're waiting in their cars, they're waiting everywhere to be seen. What's the point? This is our right. There's 225,000 people in County Mead right now as per the census there in April. The population has been increasing since the last census by 5,850 people per year. So very shortly, three or four years, you're back up to a quarter of a million. Back 100 years ago, we had three hospitals in Mead. 100 years ago, we hadn't even ESB. It's our common right. I mean, you have Tara Mines, you have Park Totten, you have all the football clubs, the rugby clubs, you have the schools, the population. Dublin, Drogheda, Mullingar, Cavan, they're all full. And if you have a glass that holds 100 mils of water and a bottle with 150 mils, you spill up the first 100 mils, the next 50 spills out on the ground. It's just the same with people overflow. They'll spill on the ground, they'll be forgotten. It's our right. We have six TDs in Mead. As far as I can see, there's about three of them missing. Well, we'll be hearing more from Saturday's rally later in the programme. And thanks to those of you who did take time out to speak to Simon Doyle for us. We'll also be speaking uh, to local minister Helen McEntee about the hospital later in today's programme. But now to Sinn Féin's motion of no confidence in the government. We're joined by local Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, and by local Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster. And good morning to both of you. It's all but certain that this motion is going to be defeated. Sinn Féin just don't have the numbers. TDs have made up their minds and I think everyone is expecting Sinn Féin to fail before the debate even begins. Fergus O'Dowd, you must be delighted by this gift horse that Sinn Féin is handing the government just days before the holidays. Uh, The timing is great too for government to have the approval of the doll going into the summer and I guess that after the vote of confidence in the government that you'd be able to imagine there'd be less of the normal giving out over the next two months? Well, I think the first thing is that what people are concerned about is that the government deals with the business of hand, which is the economy, rising energy, poorer people not being able to buy, uh, in some cases, obviously food, I understand. Uh, they need to support families that have uh, children with disabilities in. You know, all of these issues are hugely important, as well as supporting people at work. Because if there are increases in your pay at work, they'll be eating up at the moment with increased taxes. Mm. So there's lots of jobs to concentrate on. And, but politically, and, it's very good timing, isn't it? Uh, well, to get a, a vote of, for, 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 for the, for the doll to vote confidence <clears throat> in the government going into the summer break. Uh, when, uh, well, it's, yeah, well, it's, it's important uh, that the government puts down a motion of confidence, mm. which it is now doing. And this will be fully debated. But the figures are there. The figures are real. It is a waste of time. But having said that, you know, it's not going to distract the government or indeed backbenchers mm. from what well, we it, have to do, which is... It's to probably the more on. than a waste of time from the Sinn Féin point of view. Uh, it could be shooting themselves in the foot because when... The doll goes into recess uh, and the Iraq just goes on holidays. It's usually a great opportunity for the opposition to have a go at government. Now, over the summer months, uh, the opposition opposition will be reminded that the doll has confidence in the government. 
Well, the people have confidence in that. They gave us a majority between the different parties. That's been the fall from the Grail and the Greens. And we'll just get on with our business. But we do and we are listening to what people are saying. And we understand and appreciate fully the worries and concerns that they have facing into this winter crisis, particularly the fuel and energy crisis. And it's, it's right across Europe. In fact, it's right across the world. And I think that's what people are really concentrating on. How will I keep warm? What will the government do mm. to assist me? And if you are of a lower income, you pay more of your money in keeping yourself warm, a higher proportion, and also in buying food. So we mm. have to tackle these. And that's what the budget well, and, will be concentrating Yeah, well, on. they're all big issues. Uh, but uh, the point, I suppose, is that the government's uh, approach will have the confidence of the doll. That's what's uh, going to be uh, uh, voted on this week. Let's go to uh, Imelda Munster. Uh, good morning. Uh, how is Sinn Féin so misguided this time around? Uh, why is it uh, that you're looking to send out a signal that the government is doing a great job? It wasn't very well thought through, was it? Oh, it was. The government has lost its dull majority. Last Wednesday night, you've seen another um, government member vote against... Mm, Joe McHugh is going to vote with the government on this one. Yeah, but they've lost their dull majority, and with that, they've lost the authority to deliver good government. Mm, they have a working um, majority, as you're going to find out this week. This country has never been in such a poor state. We have our health service. We've 1.3 million. Just think about that. 1.3 million people on waiting lists for acute community and diagnostic um, patients waiting for appointments. We have our housing crisis. We have sky-high rents. We have young people finishing college and emigrating because they can't afford to live here. Mm. You have parents begging begging for services. For I know, but we have a democracy and people went uh, uh, and voted for the government. And it's, uh, our, it's democracy that the opposition can put forward a motion of no oh, confidence of course it is. the government has lost its all majority. Well, of course but it is. Also, of course it is, but it's misguided when you're just going to lose that vote. But, no, you're saying the doll will vote confidence. The government, if they put forward a motion of confidence in themselves, it will be those that they've scuppered to, to support their motion, it'll be the government voting confidence in themselves, mm. not the doll. The majority of opposition <laughs> people will be voting. Every TD in the doll will have a vote, won't they? Yeah, and the, the majority will vote. But, I mean, what they need to think about, as I said, our health service... Every TD fine. that sits in the doll was elected yes, by... yes the population of uh, this country. Uh, They are democratically elected public representatives Mm -hmm. and they will be representing the people of this country in the Dáil this week by voting confidence in the government. The the government have put forward their their motion of confidence in themselves. Um, It's a counter motion. It's because Sinn Féin is putting forward a a no confidence motion. But of course... Yes, but at the same time, they're not addressing the issues of why they the motion of no confidence was put forward in the first instance. Fergus and O'Dowd, is the I've government addressing... Yes. Mm. Issues and mm. I mean, I the people out there, are. the motion, or the, the government can vote confidence in themselves if they mm. want. And I think Fergus O'Dowd listed many of... I think Fergus O'Dowd listed many of the same issues that you listed. Fergus okay. O'Dowd... Yeah, well, I think the issues are clear and we all agree. We all agree what has to be done and what we have to have is the best budget that we can deliver and that's what we're concentrating on. What Sinn Féin are doing is just, you know, I mean, they're leading, they're playing the Pied Piper to the Labour Party who are going to march now to the Sinn Féin drum 
and indeed they, they'll end up in the wilderness, uh, unfortunately. But that's their choice. Our job is to deliver a budget that people can, you know, that they can live, you know, comfortably as best they can in the winter that's coming. And that's why we're concentrating on the increases in the budget. Like there's 6.5 billion going to be spent next year, 2023, which is a lot more money than but the 4 billion we're spending this year. So any resources we have are there because of good management of the government and good management mm. of the economy. And that's the reality. But we have to make sure that the money gets through uh, to the people who need it. And that's what this debate is irrelevant. Yeah. We should be concentrating on the best way to support all of the people who need it most and to make work pay. Mm. That's the other thing. And that's what this government is concentrating on. Okay. Families that people going to school, obviously, yeah, uh, are very and, worried about And Sinn Féin has the opportunity because uh, they can use private members' time in whatever way they wish. Uh, you have that opportunity, Imelda Munster, to focus in on any of the specific areas that you were talking about rather than looking for a political knockout. We have done for the past two years and Fergus said they're trying to give look after people in the cost of living crisis. They've yeah. consistently refused to bring forward an emergency budget to tackle the rising cost of li- living. They won't cut... The doll voted the against it, didn't it? They've rents, the sky-high rents, childcare, at a time of financial crisis for family. They'll do nothing. Last Wednesday night... Well, they're we doing... People, they're not, they're not doing second, nothing. Mike, now, you mm. gave Fergus mm. free mm. run. Last Wednesday night, we had people that travelled from as far away as Donegal and Mayo. Mm. Um, the, the families that are affected by MICA. Mm. Right? The government guillotined the, the debate, yeah. uh, rushed it through. Those and everybody was very surprised that Joe McHugh lost the whip because yeah. he's not going to run in the next election. It, it wouldn't the maximum have, Grand Michael for those homes. Sobbing. Hold on a second. Those people were left sobbing in the public gallery. Mm. I saw women totally... Very, very real problems. When people, when people are left trying to find 20 or 30,000... And the same people feel the same thing when it comes to languishing yep. on housing lists, languishing on hospital waiting lists, mm. not being able to feed their well, families, well, that's why trying to tackle their... their, their that's why Joe McHugh voted against the government. It's yeah, probably yeah. why Charlie McConnell Hogue will lose his seat. But having said that, Joe McHugh is going to vote uh, uh, confidence in the government. I think they're more afraid of... Uh, losing their seats are more... Well, no, Joe McHugh has not... Joe McHugh is yes, not afraid no, of losing his seat. You have reports that the Taoiseach was ringing round independents, looking for their support, begging for them to support the government, to keep them in government, mm. keep, them, keep them in power. And you have to ask, what is he offering these independents to All keep right. them in power? Are there because shady the deals, Fergus O'Dowd? Has never I, 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 I think the only deal in town is to deliver to the people... That's the best budget possible, the biggest support. The last thing we want is the instability. Sorry, now, in fairness, I didn't interrupt you uh, when you were speaking there. To deliver the best budget we can, we don't want instability. We've instability because of the protocol. We've instability because of Brexit. Mm. We've instability because of the Ukrainian war. We have new roads or hospitals in Tipperary or in Kerry. instability, Melda, and have an election. And as I said, you'll march... You march as the Pied Piper, you march the people into the wilderness that support you. We're going to make sure that people are properly looked after in this okay. very difficult... Imelda Munster, let Imelda back in there. He actually talks as if he thinks people believe a word out of their mouth at this stage. You, want, you mentioned stability. There's been no cohesion with this government from get-go. 
having tried about, to con the people with Brexit? your confidence How do we handle Brexit? Having no. tried to con the people with your confidence and supply agreement and the farce that that, that was in 2016, you then went on into full coalition mode to keep others out in 2020. And since then, we've had a litany of incidents. The two of you governments constantly looking over your shoulders at each other, unable to make decisions that this country needs. You have a Taoiseach and a Taunish that are continuously undermining each other. You have the Fianna Fáil party, um, parliamentary party members telling Fianna Gael to go with F Fine Gael. Say what they said. F. But you, yeah, go Se- F them. Senator Aaron McGreehan, who's, by the way, just uh, an update for our, our listeners, uh, because we did ask Aaron McGreehan to come on the programme and she wasn't available on Friday. Since then, she said she's not coming on the programme if we want to ask her about her language when she said F Sinn Fein, F Fine Gael, F the lot of them. We are FF. <laughs> the reality is that this government, when Fergus talks about stability, they're yeah. fighting like ferrets in a sack and the only no, people that are losing out are the public because they can't make decisions or they won't make decisions that are right for this, the okay. people of this people country. Want, it's a government that's out of ideas, out of touch and out of time. Yeah, well, they're running out of time. I, I think that's probably true to say, Fergus. You're on limited time, probably on life support at this stage, given the fact that, yeah, you are a minority government and we're going to be facing into some of the hardest times uh, that many people will have ever experienced in their lives. There's lots of people who don't remember the 80s or any of the other hard times and we're, we're, we're getting into that realm now and it's going to be a very difficult time for anybody to it will be. It will be. There's no doubt about it. It'll be very difficult because interest rates are going to rise internationally as well. So it is a real crisis. That's why we need the continuity of the government we have. And because of our management of the pandemic, because of our management of the Brexit issue, because of our management of the protocol issue, and because of our huge support that we got in Europe, because of our policies. We are the only people uh, collectively who can deal with this issue, while Sinn Féin wanted, you know, to just Mm. want they just want chaos. We don't want that. Well, people you want know, Sinn Féin. People, people, in fairness now, people want Sinn Féin. The polls have yeah. been consistent. Yeah. But, I mean, no, it's easy, Michael. It always happens in the midterm of a government that they're less popular than they were at the beginning or at the end. That's always the polls the are consistent. I mean, at 36%, at 36%, yeah. they've more popularity than Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil yeah. uh, combined. I I, and per, yeah, perhaps, perhaps in government, uh, it'll be a different yeah. story, but they are going to be in government after the well, next Michael, election. That, There's no that, doubt that's about the that. Snapshot, that's the snapshot that was taken there. The only vote that counts is the day of the election. Mm. And the key point that our government, well, we know we're not popular with everybody. Mm. Our, our job is to make decisions that are best for I the I know country. that, but everybody was and amazed that Mary Lou MacDonald wasn't the Taoiseach after the next election. And I think everybody will be amazed if she's not the Taoiseach yeah, after the next well, one. Well, well, people will decide that. Mm. What we have to do now is to protect everybody as best we can. And our record in protecting us from outside influences because of the trouble of the relationship with the UK, as I say, trouble with Brexit, trouble with the protocol. You need stability. Mm. You also have a government that has more people at work than ever before. 2.5 million people are working in Ireland today. That's the most we've ever had. Our economy, we have a budget surplus of 4.6 billion. Okay. We're taking in more tax. Okay, we'll lose people there so now. We, Let, we are let's the go people back. Run this country in this most. Let's go back to Amelda Munster. Uh, if I'm correct, in Sinn Fein. Uh, is uh, the party that leads uh, the next government? As Fergus O'Dowd said, you're going to have very tough decisions to make. Not really. If you, any government worth its salt, Mike puts the people first. 
and it's clear from listening to Fergus. And bear in mind that Fianna Gael have actually been in power in government for almost 12 years. And that their record is one because we were elected on wage No, because you cobbled together a coalition to oh. keep others out. No, it's, it's, it's a democratic vote. But just back to the record that you're Amanda, it's, a vote, it's a vote of the call that elected us. 1.3 million Irish people waiting on hospital housing list. Sure. 6,000 sure. people waiting on housing you in the midst of a housing the crisis. Sky high rents. The, the most expensive pandemic. The most expensive country for basics such as food, electricity prices, insurance premium, childcare. That's your record. A government of chaos. Okay. And what this, uh, government, and, this and country needs is a strong government. Well, well, this Not week, sh- this, this, week this week, Sinn Féin is going to enable uh, a vote of confidence in the government. Uh, <laughs> do you want to disagree with that just before we conclude, Imelda? Sorry? Mike? This week, Sinn Féin will enable... A uh, 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 vote of confidence in the government. Uh, is no, that a statement no, you disagree with? All of the opposition voicing their support of no The vote will be in favour of the government, government though. Because mm, okay. the stats are there to show that this I think Peter Fitzpatrick will vote in favour of the government. We don't know that yet. Joe McHugh will vote in favour of the government. Are people to continue to suffer? Are they going to stand up and be Mark McSherry will vote in favour. Make no mistake about it. Right. This government is only interested in clinging to power at all costs. Well, at all costs. And any that's government not true. Well, that's not true. Yeah. Well, now, 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 now the argument is made for them because they have the confidence no. of the doll. Sinn Féin has made the, the argument for the government. What are they afraid of? What, what, if they're doing such a good job, why sh- they should have no fear of facing okay, Can I get a word in here, well, please? Well, I'm going to... I'm, fear of I, think, I, I think we all had a lot of words. We're going to leave it there, I'm sorry, because we are oh, over Michael, time. I just want to say that... Briefly. Imelda, we're in government because the people supported us. That's no, we make sure that the budget... That's the final word. Thank you both. I, I think we could talk all day, uh, or oh. for maybe <laughs> a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two, depending on when the next election is, uh, because uh, we'd be only going back and forth. We'd leave it there. Thank you both indeed. Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead, the Melton Munster, and Fergus O'Dowd, Fine Gael TD for Loud and East Mead. Michael Reed on LMFM. I hope everyone saw Deirdre and Kells on uh, the 6 o'clock news on RTE on Saturday. Uh, thanks uh, for the text this morning, uh, Deirdre, who says uh, that the hospital saved her life and uh, that she got a very, very bad bite off uh, a dog some years ago. Thanks, as I say, uh, for the text, as always, Deirdre and Kells. Sarah says, it, it was great to see the volume of people that came out over the weekend to support the hospital. She hopes that the powers that be take note of the public support for Navin and its staff and look at alternative ways of changing how services are delivered in the hospital. Tommy has been in touch with us. Quite a few people in touch with us actually about this Sinn Féin motion tomorrow. Tommy agrees the motion of no confidence may be futile in many ways, but at least Sinn Féin are taking steps to try and hold the government accountable for their per record so far. Something needs to be done to shake the government up, Tommy says. Thanks, uh, for that. Uh, we had uh, another call to the programme this morning from Tony who says it was great to see so many people come out in support of the hospital over the weekend. It's important to show those who are making the decisions on the future of the hospital that people will not take this lying down and to let them know that they're prepared to fight to retain services. Uh, Tommy also says he, he wonders how effective this show of strength will be though. Uh, he says it did his heart good to see all of the locals come out and for 
course, uh, and make their voices heard. Thank you, Tony, for uh, your call. Uh, Anna in touch, saying the no-confidence motion is a waste of time. Basically, just a political stunt by Sinn Féin. What will it actually achieve? The government will win the vote comfortably. And that will only bolster their confidence. The people don't have time for no-confidence votes. They want to see government take real action to struggle those who are financially struggling. Thanks, Anna, for that. Uh, I think uh, we had some similar comments to Anna as well. And I wonder uh, if Sinn Féin uh, is prudent in bringing this or will it backfire? David Toomey seems to have the latter view. He says Imelda Munster and her party should be using this time in the Dáil to debate crucial issues. The Dáil will be going into recess and important things will be left on the long finger. Surely it would be more worthwhile concentrating on crucial issues and not wasting time on a motion that will fail. Pure political opportunity moving the public focus from the government onto themselves says David and thank you as well uh, for your text message uh, to the programme today. Uh, WhatsApp message then from Sean in Dublin 9 Sean says, Michael, did Fergus O'Dowd ever miss having a good dinner? Listening to him is a good reason why people do not believe a word he says. Thanks very much, uh, Sean in Dublin 9. I, I don't think there's any of the TDs uh, who will go to, without a, a, a good dinner uh, ever, Sean, uh, because they're earning more than €100,000 uh, and that's their salary and that's what they get voted in to office. That's the reward for getting voted into office. Uh, but people will hold them accountable. Uh, but no matter what your politics is, I think uh, some of the basics in life will always be affordable for people on such big sal- salaries. Uh, somebody else saying, Hi, Michael, I thought the elections, um, in the elections, Sinn Féin got the most votes. Uh, but Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael asked the Greens to join them because they don't want Sinn Féin running the country. So Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael didn't get the votes of the Irish people. The Irish people want Sinn Féin, not the clowns that make Ireland a horrible country to live in, says our WhatsApp caller. Thank you very much if you have been in touch with us today. Always good to hear from everybody. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's speak uh, to journalist uh, Neve Griffin, who has a, a very interesting article in the Irish Examiner today uh, about uh, vaping. Neve is uh, the health correspondent for the Irish Examiner, and she's on the line. A very good morning to you, Neve, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the program uh, this morning. I suppose a lot of people would wonder why is it that anybody would vape if they've never smoked a cigarette? But uh, apparently, this is the case. Indeed, the number of young people who are vaping is on the increase and not just here. It's a European-wide phenomenon, apparently. And you're reporting this morning that many teenagers see it as a rite of passage through secondary school. Uh, Yes, Michael, good morning. Um, Yeah, it was quite interesting. I suppose vaping, we think of it, um, as you said, as a way to quit smoking, something that adults would do to quit smoking. But young people themselves and youth workers working with with teenagers are seeing it more and more now as um, a hobby, as a habit. And one woman I spoke to in Longford, um, a lady at the Bridgeways uh, Family Resource Centre, said she sees children there 12 and 13 years of age. And it's kind of a, a thing. She said a rite of passage between, you know, being a child in sixth class and moving in and being a, a grown up teenager in secondary school. Mm. And it's meant to be nicotine replacement, uh, but children are, are vaping 
Uh, and it's, it is they're the, very sweet, you see, yeah. and apparently mm. children like that. They're very sweet and they don't smell. Mm. So you can smoke them in your room, you can smoke them uh, in school, and they don't leave that telltale smell that that used to get people our age into trouble. When <laughs> I we were know, smoking. I saw one, one of the girls you were talking to saying <laughs> uh, it's harder for your parents to find out you've been vaping than it is uh, if you've been smoking because they smell the cigarettes off you. Yes. Yes, that that's that seems to be a big thing. It doesn't stain. There is no the nicotine level is quite low, so it doesn't stain your fingers. It doesn't stain your teeth. Mm. It doesn't leave a smell in your clothes. Um, they're they're very cheap. You can get disposable vapes now for maybe five euro. That would last you for the day, and you can just throw it out. Right. You don't have to hide a box of cigarettes and a lighter from your parents. Right, yeah, and that's why the disposable ones are, are so popular. They're the most popular, aren't they? Mm, yes, they are indeed. There was a study mm. done in England, just published there a few days ago, sorry, in Great Britain, mm. showing that disposable vapes are used by 52% of of the teens between 11 and 17 who smoke. Right. Vape, I, I, I'm surprised you're describing them as cheap. I, I thought it was uh, as expensive to vape as it is to smoke. It's not, is it not? Um, no, no. Uh, well, I suppose, I mean, it depends how much mm. you're, you're spending, but you can get a disposable vape for seven euro and that will do you for the day. Yeah. So if you're not, now obviously if you're spending seven euro every day, that's a lot, but cigarettes are a lot more expensive. Fifteen euro or more, I, mm. I think. I just wonder if you were on 20 a day and you gave up, would that five or seven euro be enough nicotine to replace what you'd get from the 20 cigarettes? Uh, but it's still very expensive, uh, as you say. Uh, and is it that teenagers, uh, those in secondary school who, as you say, see it as a rite of passage, are vaping every day, that they're spending that amount of money every single day? Well, that's what that's what we were told. Um, I spoke to a 19-year-old lady who, who writes for Spun Out, that, that youth website, mm. and she was saying that friends of hers who vape, that it just would be in their hand all day, was how she described it. Mm, yeah. that you don't put it down. And I know other people would say that when you're smoking, you tend to put the cigarette down, mm. but there seems to be, the vape seems to belong in your hand. Yeah, you or around your neck. Yes. 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 Yeah. And there, there's a lot of division, I suppose. The, the HSE are not really sure whether they're great for, mm. for um, they don't recommend it to help quit smoking, but the NHS does think that adults could use it. Yeah, but, smoking. but so I mean, uh, as you report uh, in uh, the paper this morning, you're talking about flavours like banana, cola, apple, pink mm. lemonade, bubblegum coffee and mango uh, and the colourful packaging uh, and how it's seen as uh, attractive or sexy or cool or whatever by young people for whatever reason. Uh, But young people uh, seem to be saying, so what? And mind your own business, you old fuddy-duddy if people are questioning. Mm -hmm. That was the impression I got from your article. I I don't know if uh, that's how you felt speaking to Caitlin Benson, a a 19-year-old girl who was saying, there's nothing wrong with them, uh, to paraphrase what uh, she's quoted in the paper as saying. Yeah, well, she doesn't vape herself, but she was trying to explain, I suppose, the way that people around her think of them, because they've been told so much. Um, she was saying, you get so much education in school now about how cigarettes cause also can lead to lung cancer and can lead to other illnesses. And she was saying that the information about vaping is that they're just kind of a fun product and a fun thing to do. Mm. Um, so they're not really seen as a risk where adults working in the health sector would have concerns about them. Yeah, well, full marks to the nicotine industry, if you like, uh, because that's exactly the way cigarettes were seen uh, mm. in 
the 30s and 40s uh, and uh, the Hollywood actors, uh, Humphrey Bogart uh, and others who would have glamorised cigarettes. But there was nothing wrong with them as far as people were concerned until they found out years after that they're carcinogenic, obviously, uh, and can lead to other health problems. Um, But the jury is still out, isn't it, uh, on whether e-cigarettes are... Uh, dangerous or or not. Uh, You were talking about the Irish and uh, the British uh, health authorities uh, and their view on using them as replacements for giving up cigarettes. Uh, But there's a lot of unknowns about the impact that they can have, whether you use them just for fun, as some young people are, or uh, as a a way of giving up cigarettes. Uh, Yes, definitely. Because, I mean, they're relatively new products. They've been on, you know, they've been around a relatively short time. So I think the HSE, from what they said, are quite concerned that there isn't enough um, research into the long-term impact just because they're new products. Um, So if you start vaping at 12 or 13 and you continue until you're 40, what is the impact of that? Nobody knows because it hasn't happened. Mm, You know, it hasn't happened yet. Um, and you mentioned there the tobacco factory uh, companies, Michael. Of course, a lot of the e-cigarette companies are owned by tobacco companies who are very publicly saying that they are in transition to smoke-free world. So they're, you know, they're not closing down and disappearing either. No, well, they might have. Uh, if they hadn't come up with vaping, an alternative way of getting people addicted to a product, uh, one that they thought wasn't dangerous, now they know is dangerous, uh, Mm. by uh, introducing something uh, that young people believe isn't dangerous uh, and we don't know the answer to that. Yeah, we don't know is the answer, I suppose. And I mean, the NHS does recommend it to adults as a way to to Mm. quit smoking. So there is there is division about it, but there's definitely a lot of concern just because it's not really known what you're inhaling and what's making that flavouring. I mean, that's not real fruit, obviously, in time there. You mentioned 13 and 14-year-olds. I think I saw Mm. a mention of 11-year-olds in your article at some stage as well this morning, Neve. Oh, yes, from the British survey. um, The British data shows the number of children aged between 11 and 17 who vape jumped from 4% at that age cohort in 2020 to 7% for this year. Okay. Uh, And are they buying vapes uh, or e-cigarettes legally? Um, Well, not if you're 11. Well, that's what I mean. Is there an age restriction? Yeah, well, there is. In Ireland, it should be under 18s. Oh, okay. uh, it should, over yeah. 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over 18. <laughs> it, it is under 18s, but it should be over 18s. Yeah, and there's discussion about, um, there was discussion even actually from um, the Irish Vape Centres Association about raising the legal age for e-cigarettes to, to 21. Mm. Um, so I, I don't think there's a lot of there is widespread concern and probably not a lot of objection to lo- to controlling it. Yeah. But that social worker in Longford was saying it's very hard to control it because you know all you have to do is get your older brother or sister to buy it yeah. or someone who's having a busy day in the shop and doesn't have time to check. It's, yeah. it's strict, difficult. Yeah. Well, it's a, a regulated drug market uh, and one uh, that is seeing very young people, as you say, from 11 upwards, uh, becoming drug addicts, addicted to nicotine, a very strong addiction, if ever there was, uh, and a costly one at that. Mm. Uh, I think uh, your article uh, will be of interest to a lot of people this morning, Neve. Thank you indeed for talking us okay, through it. Uh, much appreciated. That's uh, the health correspondent with the Irish Examiner, Neve Griffin. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, if uh, you rent a 
house or uh, an apartment, a property of some sort uh, through Airbnb or some similar sites, uh, that could very well become a criminal offence from uh, the 1st of September. New legislation uh, from uh, the government says uh, that online platforms will not be able to advertise properties in rent pressure zones, which do not have the uh, required planning permission. Non-compliance will be an offence for both the individual who owns the property and the online platforms. Let's uh, speak uh, to John Mark McCafferty of uh, the housing charity Threshold. Good morning to you, John Mark, and thank you indeed. Good morning, Michael. Uh, Is this necessary? Yes, it is necessary, but the question is, will it go far enough? Uh, There already is legislation from 2019 which requires um, the hosts of um, short-term lets that are... um, you know, standalone houses or apartments um, that are being let for more than 90 days, uh, they, they require to be uh, to seek planning permission from their local authority or, or seek a planning exemption. And very, very few have done that over the course of the last three years. Um, and we have seen, um, you know, a, a steady increase in the availability of short let properties in that market. And at the same time, we're seeing um, fewer and fewer long-term rentals available for families and individuals. So it's a real challenge. And um, this this legislation, um, it's welcome, but it does require very strong um, enforcement for it to make any difference. Because um, the one one thing that's welcome is... um, that the platforms, the, not just the hosts, but the platforms, the, the companies that um, are advertising these um, these short-term lets um, are, are also kind of uh, bound by the legislation uh, to not advertise uh, the the properties that haven't received planning permission, mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, that's an additional thing. Now the question is whether or not you know um, Falter Ireland will uh, be in a position to um, rigorously enforce. Um, this, this law because up until now um, the problem has been that it's, the onus has been on the hosts themselves to approach local authorities to seek that um, derogation or to seek planning permission and as I say very few you know sometimes in single figures or low, low double uh, digit figures in, in the larger local authorities um, and yet we, we know you know when you when you look at these sites you, you know that there are so many mm. uh, places available and yet there's just so little um, longer-term rental accommodation for families and individuals. Okay. Uh, what about property rights, though? Is this not interfering in people's property rights? Uh, is it not up to the owner of the property to decide what to do with their property? Well, there are all sorts of um, regulations and, and laws in relation to um, how houses are used. There's there's taxation related to property, how properties are disposed of. We have a Residential Tenancies Act as well in terms of longer-term uh, rental and uh, I guess this is where um, the law is, is slowly catching up with um, a very very fast moving, fast paced sector called short lets. Um, and in fact, um, you know those those rights have been um, uh, intervened across the across the world. Um, there's, there's all sorts of regulations uh, across the world. So I think it's really important that you know. While um, it, there's absolutely uh, nothing wrong at all mm. with um, hosts, you know, hosting um, tourists in, say, a spare room. I mean, that's how 
you know, the likes of Airbnb mm-hmm. and other short-lived platforms sell their kind of product. They say, you know, this is for ordinary people to kind of augment their income by kind of renting, well, renting why, out why, on why, the short-term why, basis. What's wrong with renting out a house or an apartment? Um, well, there's nothing wrong with renting out a house or apartment for a short period, but if that um, is permanently or, or, or mm. let out well, kind yeah. of way over 90 days, mm. then um, the problem is those um, those very properties that probably 5, 10, 15 years ago would have been in the private rented mm. sector, they are now in the, uh, in, in the short-let sector. Mm. And that's at a time where there's simply no additional accommodation or, or next to no additional accommodation available for people who are seeking to... Um, but is that not a separate problem? Are we not conflating two problems there? Uh, because one is uh, that somebody wants to uh, rent their property through the short let market, which is very strong. Uh, and it also means they don't have to become a landlord or, or take on the responsibility of a landlord or people who have uh, the tenants' rights uh, that might pe- put people off renting out property. Uh, and on the other hand, then you've a shortage of housing. Uh, and the two are separate. Uh, is it right to put the responsibility for the housing shortage onto the person who owns a property that wants to rent it out to tourists? Unfortunately, the two aren't separate. Um, what you have is a housing market. And, you know, while uh, it, it doesn't impinge if... Um, someone is letting a room out or even two rooms out in the house that they're, they're, they're living in, it impinges less in that way. Um, where you have such high demand and such low supply in, in housing as we have in, in the Irish housing market, um, and not just the, the urban areas, by the way, also in kind of the, you know, the kind of rural tourist areas, we have huge problems structurally, you know, we have big problems in terms of um, hospitality and um, not being able to source the staff. Part of that is because the staff can't find places to, to live and they can't find places to live because of a lack of supply and the short-let market mm. is a factor there. It, it hasn't created the housing crisis, but it certainly has exacerbated problems. It's made things worse in terms of that overall availability of housing. Mm. And this wouldn't be an issue if there was adequate housing. The problem is... That, that's the point I'm making. So yeah. the two things mm. overlap. Yeah, well, they overlap. Uh, uh, I think it can be argued, uh, and uh, you've already argued against me, that they are separate, uh, but they certainly do overlap, and there's no doubt about that. But is that the fault of the property owner? I, I mean, this works across the world. Uh, you said that regulations have been put in here and there and everywhere, but I, I think people listening to us, uh, many of them will have gone overseas and rented out a, a full house or an apartment, uh, not a room in, a, in somebody else's house, uh, and they have found it to be great value in the middle of the city or wherever it is that they're going. Uh, and it's a wonderful experience uh, because they have a home from home rather than staying in a hotel and all that goes with that. Yeah, and they can still do that here. Uh, for uh, The host can still offer that for 90 days in the year. So you can have June, July and August where a house is let out. And, and you know, the, there are situations where, say, uh, I don't know, say, for example, teachers, uh, yeah. you know, a couple who are, are both kind of um, secondary school teachers, they could let out their, their homes June, July and August and then come back to their home. That doesn't impinge, you know, this law won't impinge on them in that yeah. regard. This is where entire homes are, you know, are, are let, you know, for more than the 90 days, yeah. often throughout the year. And some of those homes would 
otherwise be in the longer term rented uh, market. Mm. Well, you wouldn't be able to rent them out for 90 days uh, if you were renting them out in the long term market uh, because you couldn't ask people to move out for the three months. Uh, If... um, if people want to get planning permission, can can they rent through Airbnb uh, type sites uh, all year round? Um, well, they, they can they can seek planning permission, but generally speaking, where there's a rent, where the the house or the apartments in a rent pressure zone, planning permission will generally not be uh, granted to them. And you know, this legislation and indeed the 2019 legislation is. Um, and uh, an acknowledgement that um, there's huge housing pressure, especially in, in the rent pressure zones, um, and that um, as a result of that, the government has to intervene, has tried to intervene in 2019. Um, it didn't work because the onus was on the individual hosts to, to seek planning permission, which very, very few did. Mm. Now this legislation is putting the onus not just on the hosts, but also on the platforms. Um, so I think that's an important development. But all of this hinges on adequate, strong, rigorous enforcement by whatever statutory um, agency um, you know is, is asked to do it. Now the legislation points to the um, uh, Fulcher Ireland, and um, obviously Fulcher Ireland's primary purpose is to provide and support the, the tourism infrastructure. So um, you know we, we need to monitor closely uh, the success and the rigour uh, with which um, this legislation will be applied. But um, applied, it must be in order to ensure that that balance between uh, providing um, much needed. Um, tourist uh, accommodation through short-lived platforms while at the same time mitigating the impact on the longer-term rental market. Yeah, I I imagine it can't be good for tourism, um, but there is such a a crisis in this country uh, that it's necessary, you argue. Uh, And Threshold uh, is uh, the National Housing Agency there to help people who are renting and who have problems uh, in uh, their tenancy. And uh, should mention that you have a helpline as well if uh, people are looking to contact Threshold for help. That's right, Michael. So it's 1800-454-454 for people who are renting and, and they have a query or indeed are worried uh, about you know their, their tenancy or indeed losing their home. Uh, we assist and advise um, tenants and we also protect tenancies from uh, the risk of tenancy termination and the risk of homelessness. Um, and the 1850-454-454 number is a free phone number. It's confidential. It's open from 9am till 9pm. We also have a web chat facility on threshold.ie from half uh, nine until five on Monday to Friday. Um, so there, and people can contact us via our website. So there are a variety of ways in which people can access us across uh, the, the northeast of Ireland and indeed wider. And, and we'd, we'd ask people who are if they're renting or they're trying to access renting accommodation, private rented accommodation, and they've queries or worries about their, their tenancy, please to come forward and, and to, to contact Threshold, threshold.ie and 1800 454 Okay, thank you indeed, John Mark McCafferty, who is the CEO of Threshold. Let me bring you some comments uh, before we go to the break now. Uh, Somebody, Paul, uh, saying disposable vapes have a higher nicotine level than cigarettes. They provide up to 700 to 800 puffs per disposable cigarette. 
Uh, somebody else uh, saying a hundred grand is tip of the iceberg for TDs. That's their salary, of course, and. Uh, God knows how much you want to add on to that in terms of expenses, which I take it is what our caller is referring to. Uh, who their, call, their caller says, sure, they can save that and live off their expenses. They could save the €100,000 salary and live off their expenses. What other job in Ireland pays its workers a clocking-in fee just for hitting that button, whether they stay or not? Uh, thank you indeed. Uh, I think uh, maybe the thing is that if you feel that way, run for an election. It's not easy to get uh, elected and it's not easy uh, to stay in office uh, because people will have a lot of demands of you. Uh, and I think that's where the job is. Not an easy job. Uh, I think uh, it's um, a mistake to think that TDs have an easy job. They're very well paid, extortionately paid, uh, but it's not an easy job. Claire Meath, thank you for your message. She says, uh, begging for votes, what a cheek. Anything they want if uh, they say it. Upgrade the hospital in Navin. Do this and maybe they'll get votes from us. Why do they think it's okay to spend a day sitting in A&D? Thomas Byrne, go and sit in an A&E for four, six or eight hours. So busy, you may have to stand, says Claire. Thank you indeed. Somebody else saying, in the election, Fine Gael TDs got in with the surplus votes from Sinn Féin. Don't forget that. OK, don't see the point, though, because that's what they call democracy. You either get in or you don't. Uh, you win or you lose. It's as simple as that. And that's just the way uh, the winners and the losers are uh, selected. Uh, and somebody else says they should have had buses running to take people into Navin to demonstrate on Saturday. Thank you indeed uh, if you have been in touch with us today for your message. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. An estimated 7,000 people apparently turned out on Saturday uh, for the Save Navin Hospital protest. But what did they say? Uh, let's uh, speak uh, to the Minister for Justice and local TD, Helen McEntee. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on. Good morning, Michael. Hi. Uh, good morning to you. What, what, what message did you take from the protest on Saturday? Well, Michael, I think what people have been saying, um, and, and we have all been saying this, we all have had concerns about this for some time, um, is that we want the best health service for the people, not just in Meath, but in Louth. And I think whether you are at the protest on Saturday or whether you have voiced concerns in various different ways over the last number of years, I think everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants the best outcome. Everybody wants to make sure that we have the health services that we require, whether it's somebody who's in a critical position or whether it's somebody who's elderly or somebody who needs longer term care in a hospital. That is the message that I have always taken from anybody who has raised this issue directly with me. And obviously that is my overall goal and objective. And I think that's all of our goals and objective here, that we get the best outcome, that we have the best health service for people, that we have the best type of medical attention that people need at the time that they need mm. us. And do you, do you, what do you, I would always take from that. You, you believe that the people who protested on Saturday were saying, uh, we want the best health service uh, and uh, we're happy if that means that uh, emergency department services would be delivered in Drogheda. Well, no, I, I think there's a, there's a mixed view on that, obviously. I, I think some people would prefer 
that irrespective of, of what is being said, that the health service and that the, the, the A&E as it currently stands would remain in Navan. I think others are open to what has been said in that for the best delivery of service, it needs to transfer. For me, what I want is the best service. So I think in order to get that, we need to listen to what is being said to us from all clinical experts here, from all uh, who obviously uh, have a, a role to play in this, in delivering that outcome. Uh, and again, that's why we have been asking the questions that we have been asking. How do you get the best health service? Is it about building up capacity in Navan? And I have asked that and many others have asked that. Can we build up the capacity? Can we increase our services? Can we reintroduce our acute uh, surgical team, which is no longer in Navan? Can we expand or does it mean having to reconfigure? But what does that look like? You know, where are the resources elsewhere? Where is the capacity elsewhere? And this is the point that I think we're at now because we are hearing, and I am hearing very clearly, and I have listened very clearly, that there is a clinical risk in Navin for a certain cohort of patients. But we have also heard very clearly that if you make these changes without any other type of capacity increase, you are just transferring that risk elsewhere. So it's about bringing everybody together now it's about looking at what resources mm. we have. And actually, Minister Donnelly, who in fairness room has listened to all of our concerns, be it people at the march, be it my concerns or others, as well as all of the medical professionals. I don't think he listened to people at the march. For a review. What, he, what he has asked for is a capacity review. So yeah, but he didn't listen to people at the march. Uh, when was the last time Stephen Donnelly was in Navin or Mead or spoke to local media? Uh, uh, when it, it, it's one of the biggest national issues there is in the country uh, that he has responsibility for, which is that uh, he's left people in the most unenvious position of having a hospital that isn't safe and a solution that isn't safe. Well, I do have to say, with all due respect to Minister Donnelly, he has not just listened to us, and we obviously represent the people in Mead and in Louth and right across the board, but he's also listened to clinical experts and to professionals, not just from Navan, but also Drogheda across the board. And he's also engaging with the HSE. So yeah. he has engaged extensively on this. And due to that engagement and, and since... Yeah, Darren O'Rourke was telling us on Friday that he told the uh, consultants in Drogheda to go on the record or to write to him. Uh, was that right? Excuse me, sorry? Darren O'Rourke was suggesting uh, that the minister told the consultants in Drogheda to make their views known publicly. Well, I think the clinicians and the, the medical experts themselves have decided to make their views known. And as you'll know, and I spoke to you about this. But before, was that after a conversation with a the minister? Uh, well, we, we attended a meeting with the minister. So the minister has been open. To yeah, but Darren O'Rourke is suggesting that the minister uh, spoke to the consultants uh, and let them know that he wanted their views to be known publicly. Well, I, I can't speak for Minister Donnelly and, and I can't speak for any conversation that anyone may have had. But I think mm. what's clear and what has happened is that we have had a meeting. The minister himself has come out very publicly and said he's concerned at what he heard at that meeting in relation mm. to potential transfer of risk. Yeah, I think I saw that on national. I think I saw that on, on national media. I didn't see him uh, speaking directly to the Mead Chronicle or LMFM or the people of Navin through their local uh, sources for news. Um, but what's your view now? Uh, you talked uh, about uh, how people have spoken about building up Navin, uh, expanding what's there in Navin uh, to make the hospital safe. Uh, is it your view that Navin can be made safe? So, again, there, there are different views here. No, what's your view, Minister? 
but I, I'm not the clinical expert here. So I have been informed by some that yes, if we increase the capacity in terms of our acute surgical team, which is no longer there, that that would resolve a lot of, if not some of the concerns. Is that what so should be done or not? That's not a decision for me to make. It's a decision that is going to be made politically. It's already a decision that there's been huge political interference with uh, uh, political diktat which has stopped the HSE from acting in the interest of the people that it is charged with serving. So it is not a political decision and I have to stress that it is not a decision for me to make. It is a question for me to ask and but that is my role. And with with respect Minister, the HSE made its decision, the HSE made its decision with respect Minister the, the, the Minister directed them not to act uh, in the way they felt was responsible? Well, the Minister responded in that way, having met with and having heard the views of other clinicians who will be directly impacted by any change. Yes. And I think what people have said here is that this should not never happen. And I've never said that. I've always said, if this has to happen, then please let it be done right. But it's a political decision, Minister, and I want to go back to the question about your view. Is it possible to build up the capacity and expand Our Lady's Hospital in Navan so that it can provide emergency department services? And I can't answer that because there are different views here. So it is about the clinical experts coming together. So from both sides, be it those in Drogheda, be well, it I, those in Navan, be it mm, elsewhere. I don't think it's Stephen Donnelly's view. No. I, I, I think Stephen Donnelly has made it very clear it's not his view that that is uh, the case uh, and that the Minister believes that the emergency department in Navan should be closed and that it is only responsible to close it. But on the other hand, he doesn't believe that uh, you can transfer that risk uh, as the doctors in Drogheda say uh, and until such time that uh, the capacity is available to take patients from NAB and elsewhere uh, that he'll continue uh, to uh, insist that the HSE keep the unit open in Navin. Well, look, I, I can't speak on behalf of Minister Donnelly. I think he's he's made his views very clear in terms of the statements that he has made on this. Mm. He is do, you, do you interpret them the same way, though? Well, I, I think he said clearly that he is concerned if this type of change were to happen now, that he has heard clearly from others mm. that this would create a clinical risk. But he does but want I, to close I, I it, doesn't he? I mean, I, I, I mean, have you heard what the Minister has said differently to the way I've heard it? Well, I, I think he's been very clear here, and I go back to my point at the very beginning of all of this. Mm. He wants what's best. He wants to close what's best the, to close the need. Yeah. And, well, Michael, I think we all have to accept what is best here, but we don't know because we haven't got the absolute clarity. Mm. We know now that there is a capacity review underway. So Minister Donnelly yeah. is working with the HSE to look at A&E in Navan, in Drogheda, to look mm. at the capacity in our area and to see where we go from here, to see what yeah, but I, I, is needed. It can be boiled down very simply to do you want to stay open or not? That shouldn't be the question. Mm. It should be what is the best way to provide the best service yeah. for the people in Mead? And for me, that for me, what you do now is that you have different views. You have a lot of people with the same ambition, mm. and that is to provide the best service. And I mean that mm. by including those who are delivering services mm. now. Mm. You get everybody in the room. You work through these issues. And then you decide what to do then. That's not a political decision. That has to be a medical well, decision. Well, and we have to support I, that. I'm sorry, Minister. It is a political decision. The Minister has already demonstrated. It's it's a, a matter of fact that the Minister has interfered politically with the decision-making authority of the HSE and has instructed them to stop 
what they were doing, what they decided had to be done uh, in the interest of patient outcomes, per patient outcomes, per patient outcomes than should be the case and indeed up to and including the loss of people unnecessarily by death. So the Minister has made it a political decision. Uh, he's used his authority to do that and it will be a, a political decision at the end of the day. Uh, and I'd be amazed if I'm wrong uh, in thinking that the Minister has decided the Emergency Department in Navan has to close because of what he's been told by the medical expertise in relation to it. And what the Minister wants to do now is to find a way of closing it, to, 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 to close it safely. But what the Minister wants is the best outcome. So you can say You're not that contradicting this is me. his... Well, what I'm saying is he wants the best outcome. And what he's done is listen to everybody here. So he may have asked for things to not go ahead at the moment because he has heard very serious concerns from other hospitals, but he is also listening to the very serious concerns that people have in Navan. Yeah. So it's about bringing the two of those together. I know, but you're not contradicting it me. It shouldn't be a one or the other here. You're, you're not contradicting me, Minister, and I'm not saying it's one or the other. I'm saying it's a bit of everything uh, because the Minister uh, wants the best outcome and the Minister believes the best outcome for people is to close the emergency department in Navan when there is a safe way of doing it. I mean, look, this is clearly, it's an emotive issue. It's not a straightforward issue. It's not black and white to say this is exactly what the minister wants or this is what I want or this is what anybody else wants. The only thing that is clear is that we all want the best outcome for patients in this regard. But you have to, you you can't just make a decision Mm. um, and go along with it when not everybody has been consulted or included in, in the overall conversation. And this conversation has been going on for about 10 years. And what I want us to do, and I think the Minister and everybody else, is to learn where we have made mistakes in the past, where we have changed things quite rapidly without putting capacity in place, where we perhaps haven't explored all of the options, where we haven't looked at what the other alternatives might be. We have responded to a clinical risk, which which we absolutely have to. Mm -hmm. But in turn, and you can see other hospitals at the moment, where they are at max capacity, where they were trying to deal with increased capacity, and they don't have the resources to do so. And I know there's a huge amount of work happening, obviously, to build up resources right across the country. But I would simply ask, and, and I think we've all just asked, is that whatever we do, that everybody talks to each other. And I made this point before, and maybe maybe you can't equate the two in the same way, but as Minister for Justice, if I bring a memo to Cabinet, if I make any changes in my department that impact significantly on another department, another minister, another field, I talk to them, I work it through, we bring a memo together either jointly or there are comments and there is engagement. That has to be the same for our health service here. So we have to know that whatever is happening, we're not removing one clinical risk to replace it with another. And it, it shouldn't be as simple as, well, do we keep it open or not? It should be, well, what is the best for people mm. in the long term? And that's exactly and the point. That that's point? exactly the point that I've been putting you. The decision has been made to close it when it's been discovered how to do that safely, how to get to that point. And there's no real secret about that because I think you'd have contradicted me when I've said that about five times already this morning. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't stopped asking questions as to what are the options here and what are the alternatives. And I suppose the challenge is we, we haven't actually been said definitively that this is not an option or we, we can't reintegrate services, or we can't re-expand services. If that is what the answer is, 
then I'm, I am I will accept that. I, I'm not going to mm. contradict what clinical advice and evidence no, is. No, and I think, Minister... When you have two opposing views at the moment, everything has to be resolved here. I know, but I, I, I think, Minister, in not saying you believed that Our Lady's Hospital... Uh, could build up the capacity and expand to the extent that it would be safe to provide emergency department services by not saying that. Uh, I I think um, the opposite is true, that you believe it's not possible to build it up. Well, uh, of course I would love to see that happen. My my point is... I I want people to be able to attend a hospital in their own county next to them in the closest proximity, so absolutely... But I am putting it to you, Minister, and I'd like you to respond to a direct question, which is, am I right in saying you don't believe that that is possible? No, that's not true. I, I, I am not convinced that that is not possible. I still think there's a lot of discussions to be had. I don't think we should delay this because I'm hearing very clearly that there is a risk. But I am asking that people are engaged with. I think that engagement is happening now. I very much welcome the fact that Minister Donnelly has met with all clinicians here involved from both hospitals and that he is now taking both of those views on board. But I mean, of course I want to see our own hospital with our own accident and emergency in close proximity to people. If that is not the decision at the end of the day based on everybody's medical view and opinion being brought together, then I will accept that. But that has not happened to date. It is only happening now. I'm, I very much welcome the fact that that is happening now because, as I've said, you, you can't make one change in one place and expect that it doesn't impact another group of people who are working in another hospital. Okay. It will, of course. So we have to take all of this on board. And I will, of course, yeah. accept what the medical outcome is of that. But to date, you know, we've been focused mm-hmm. on one one challenge, and I accept that challenge is there, but we have to look at this in the wider picture, and we have to learn mm-hmm. from the mistakes okay. of the past and how something like this has been dealt with before. Right. Minister, thanks for the direct answer to the direct question. Uh, it is uh, appreciated. And uh, your time is, as always, and uh, it's always good to have you in the programme. Good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us today. Uh, that's uh, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who's a Fine Gael TD for Mideast. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, selling smoky cold wet wood and uh, turf on the internet is uh, to be banned in this country this week. I expect, as we agreed as we went to public consultation last September, to issue regulations this autumn, not affecting the householder, not even looking at what the producer or someone might be cutting a bog and so on, but looking at the retail side on smoky coal, on uh, wet wood and on turf at the retail and internet sales level, as we agreed in the consultation last September. It's true the world has changed since last September with the war, and it's true the price of coal, because a lot of the coal in the market would have been Russian coal and it's affected the, the supply chain there, as in oil and gas is also significantly affected. Right, and that's uh, the Minister Eamon Ryan, who was responding to independent TD Michael Fitzmaurice in the Dáil last week. Were you satisfied with uh, that response uh, that it won't impact uh, on normal people and what they have done traditionally in terms of harvesting turf and passing it out or or selling it uh, between their neighbours? This is for uh, the retail sector and to stop the sale uh, of turf commercially. Well, first of all, um, I was amused actually by listening to him that um, with the troubles we're in in the world at the moment, um, what I outlined, Michael, just so that you'll mm. get the full drift of what I was on about, um, I was outlining that um, the home eat night has gone to 150, 160 in cases. Um, there is a huge problem at the moment, even in smokeless coal, 
um, in a lot of areas trying to get it in. The two places in Ireland that's imported, it's getting scarce because obviously there's a big glut for it in different parts of the world. And here we are talking about uh, someone putting something on the internet. Mm. It's it's actually, you'd wonder where we're putting things into perspective. Yeah. Um, in relation to what you have asked me, mm. um, I would have always said, and look at him, 35 years um, in, involved in 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 turf or in, 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 in bogs as much as I grew up in it um, it would be always word of mouth that turf would be sold in our, in an area you will see ads here and there about bags of turf but in general to be quite frank about mm. it I'm not hung up about the internet I'd be honest about it Alright I think but the internet uh, I think the turf is included to stop the, uh, because otherwise the government would, the, the government I'll, I'll would be, be honest, sued by the coal companies because it's to stop the sale of smoky coal from yeah, the north isn't it? Well, what we're, what we're, what we want, and we've mm. been very clear in this, we want somebody that has their turf bank that they can cut for themselves, mm. that they can give to someone else, or that they can sell it yeah. to whoever they want. Be that in a city. Mm or be that in, in the middle of the countryside. I suppose that's the question I was asking, because I think the Minister was saying that that can continue. Are you satisfied that that is the case? Well, he's, he, look at Michael. There's a draft, there's draft going on at the moment, mm. and with what's going on with this government at the moment, you just don't know until you see a final draft. But what we have always stated is that we wanted, as I've outlined, mm. that a person can sell their turf if they own a bog, that they can give it to someone mm. or that they can cut for themselves. I'm not hung up, I'll be very clear on this, I'm not hung up about whether I can push on the internet or not because yeah. in my experience down through the years, uh, there's no new people buying turf, to put it simple. Mm. Everyone knows who they get it from and they still will be able, to still, if if he goes along the lines, he's going along. But look, you can trust nothing at the moment to be straight about it. Right. It could, it could change overnight. Yeah. Uh, just going back to the other subjects that you mentioned there about uh, coal being scarce and the price of petrol and diesel, you were making the point that the cost of a 40 kilo bag of coal is estimated to go up to 50 euro over the yeah. winter. And you were asking why petrol and diesel is so expensive because you were saying that the price of a barrel of oil has come down in recent months. Yeah, well, the price of a barrel of oil, it's actually, I was reading this morning, it's actually slipping a bit again. And um, we are, look, at, there's no doubt about it, the government is taking in more VAT at the moment in relation to oil. But there seems to be some sort of a... I suppose, to put it bluntly, there's five or four or five main importers into Ireland. And if you look at some other countries at what they can sell oil at compared with here, like people are at their wits end at the moment. Mm. Um, it won't survive. And I see in the agricultural sector, Michael, I'm involved in that. Mm. Um, we do contracting and bailing and all that. And the, the, the money you just need now just to keep a tractor um, mm. in diesel in it is, is ferocious and that money the farmer isn't getting any more and the contractor isn't getting any more when you add up the diesel and it's it's a it's a road to nowhere the road we're on mm. at the moment in yeah. my opinion yeah no I I, I know I, I mean I know it as everybody does from filling up my own car uh, and thankfully I don't do much driving so it doesn't really have much impact on me and every time I fill up uh, the tank and look at <laughs> the cost 
I'm flabbergasted and I'm very, very grateful that I don't do much driving and really feel sorry for anybody who has to do much driving or, or needs you look at most people to use in rural a car like that. Yep, yep. You look at most people in your own area, the yep, area that yep. you covered there. Yep. A lot of those people will be driving to Dublin to work and mm. they may not have the facility of public transport. Where I'm from here, you have no choice. Galway mm. is 35 or 40 miles. Um, at loan is 35 miles. You have no choice. That's mm. where the work is and people have to drive. And what I am concerned about is that, yes, they have increased fuel allowance. They have increased different things that way. And I'm not uh, a near that way. But there's another cohort of people that wants to go over the 19,000 um, in fuel allowance. There's the people from that up along, right up along in what I call Middle Ireland, that are getting nothing. They don't, like, I mean, Ryan made a, a, a reference one day, they can go into a social welfare office. Well, if you're in the social welfare office, you've gone out the back door fairly quick because mm-hmm. there'd be nothing there for you. And these are the people, the squeezed middle, that's really getting shafted because in their home, they have to use, uh, they have to use home heat now, most of them. In their, in their um, cars, they have to use diesel and their electricity has gone up. And like, it's it's not adding up what's going on at the moment, and we it has it has to be addressed. Yeah, and you also asked the minister if Europe is going to starve people in other parts of the yeah, world. And, and I, I I'll elaborate on that, yeah, Michael. Yeah. At the moment, and I'm not talking about the the local media like yourselves. I'm talking about the national media. If Donald Trump puts up something on whatever. Uh, type of system he has on his phone mm. he's, I know he's not allowed on Twitter w- one that is not banned from you <laughs> if there's something else if there is another if there's a site in the world that will allow him <laughs> if there's a, if there's so, if something else happens in Australia yeah. the national media here seem to be focusing on it but at the moment with what's going on in Holland there's a serious problem arising in Holland at the moment where roads are being blocked because farms are being shut down with the new uh, climate targets or the new climate things that they're on about in that country and, and it's it, like it has gone pretty heavy handed and what I see happening at the moment is that Europe is a net it, it can export food and there seems to be this agenda that we'll cut back cut back just to have enough for ourselves but the consequences of that is that some other country that isn't in the position to have the lush green grass like Ireland has thankfully that they will starve and there doesn't seem to be a bother or a worry about that. And that mm. is really, really worrying what's going on at the moment, this agenda. Mm, OK. Uh, and uh, I think you were saying you didn't have a problem with uh, taxonomy and this European vote, uh, which is looking on gas uh, and yeah, nuclear as green energies. But it's ironic, I think, was the point you were making. Uh, uh, and uh, I take it that uh, all of this is feeding into your own perception of the government's performance and you'll be voting against them this week in that confidence motion. Yeah, well, first of all, um, to be quite frank about it, there are certain things the government cannot do, and I'd be the first to say that. If I run the house, you have only so much money, and I'm not a, yeah. a person that, uh, that first of all, sometimes you'd see some things that Sinn Féin would say, I'm not going to be dictated by Mary Lou MacDonald. I want to be very clear on that. I see her coming out talking about independence, that they should do this, that, and the other. I have a mandate in my own right for the people that I represent. But I will not and never will support a government that has a Green Party that is doing... Uh, basically making decisions that, in my opinion, is very harmful and will be very harmful to rural Ireland. And I stand by what I see. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, as always, for joining us on the programme okay. today. That's Independent TD, Michael Fitzmaurice. 
Now let's hear some more of uh, the voices uh, from people who attended Saturday's hospital rally. Uh, like many of you out there, I have spent the last four, the last month, in four different hospitals. Uh, my son, a trailer fell in his hand. I had to go to Mullingar. My husband got a stint in, and he ended up going to James's. And I was with a hospital in my own county. This wonderful building, or should I say, centre of excellence here next door, has saved so many lives. And I can associate with that, just like all of you out there. My mother, 50 years ago, had her kidney removed in that very hospital. And she's here today, marching. They took that operation away from us. My sister, at Christmas, went in, not knowing what was wrong with her, spent a week. They looked after her. They got her back on the right road as well. And there's not a bother in her today. Over two years ago, my father spent 10 weeks, and should I say he was a Tara Mines worker, in it since it started. 10 weeks in that very centre of excellence, and the level of care, and indeed the personal connection that you won't get if we're shoved off to an overcrowded hospital. And only last week, I had, the, I had, I don't know what word I'd use, but anyway, the misfortune for, for, for the poor devils in there, we spent from two o'clock till half twelve, where he went in with pneumonia, he couldn't walk, and he's sitting over there on a window today to support this campaign and, and this rally. And I seen nothing unsafe in that A&E. All I seen in there was Hard-working doctors and nurses, porters, cleaners, catering team, admin staff, looking after their patients. It took 20 minutes. It took me 20 minutes to get to Navan to bring him in to get looked at. If I had to go to Dublin or Drogheda, that would have taken me an hour or an hour and a half, depending on the traffic. When I went to James's up when my husband had the stint in, it took us an hour, nearly two hours. We couldn't get parking. We've no parking in Dublin, no parking in Drogheda. Here, all we have to do is pull into our car park, and it's beside us. Yeah, like, I love Navin, like it's my own town, like, and I'm proud to say I'm from Navin, like, and just to see the way that all the houses are growing, they're rapidly growing, all not just in certain areas, but all around the areas, and for everything that's going on now, like, there's not like they're getting, there's no facilities in Navan for anything, and then especially now trying to get rid of a hospital, like, there's no sense in that at all. Damien English is saying that he's an Navan man, he's this, that, and the other, but where is he? Where has he been for the past while? I've only seen him at one meeting, and that was because he was pushed. What are they doing to save this hospital? They're the government in power. But if you put anything on a map and look down from a satellite view, what works on a map may not work in reality. They are probably specious in what they do, but they're not looking at the human factor of people's mobility, of people's ability to get around, to sit in A&E's, where to go, where to queue. Familiarity up here in, in Navin Hospital, the people are familiar of how it works. It's a big thing. The human factor has been forgotten about. It's all logistics, logistics, logistics. The government's under pressure with a vote of no confidence next week. They're down McHugh in Donegal. All the independents and Labour and the rest of them said they're going to vote again them. It's a hot potato. I mean, all they have to do is lose one vote and they're in trouble. And people here, like the six TDs and me between Mid, East and West, 
I mean, the six of them should be singing off the one sheet, representing the people who elect them. They elect them. TDs and, and senators are elected to do what the people want to be done within reason. Re- not mad stuff, just reasonable stuff like education, hospitals, health, wherever. And that's what they're there for. And there's, there's a few of them in me, unfortunately, not doing that at the minute. My first trip to the A&E here in Navin was when I broke my wrist when I fell off a motorbike. I never rode a motorbike again, I have to tell you. But after that, I moved here to this town. I lived in Navin for about 10 years and I worked out the road in Tara Mines. I was a miner and I worked underground for 15 years. And when I was, when I was involved in a number of accidents, I was brought to this A&E. Thankfully, they were not serious. But I have to say, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of people who were friends of mine, ended up in this hospital with life-changing injuries. And some of them didn't make it. That is a fact, and I know them. And I know a lot of those people, young men, who died in that mine. And I want to say this. If this A&E closes, there will be more people who will die, and you're going to put people's lives at risk who work in this community, and particularly those down in Tara Mines. And just think of the other workers in this county. We have thousands of construction workers, thousands of people working in the agri-sector. We have thousands of people working in all sorts of jobs and factories across this county who need this A&E. And the truth is, their lives are being put at risk because of the decisions being made by this government. And let's call it straight, the government can make the changes necessary if they want. And they're now speaking out of both sides of their mouth. We want action and we want this this A&E saved. Navin requires a fully functioning 24-7 A&E because the service requires it and people of this county require it and because there is no better service anywhere else that's able to cope with A&E in Navin being closed. The HSEs say it's not safe. Lives will be lost. Then make it safe. Recruit the staff needed to make it safe. They say extra consultants would be needed. Then get them in. There are ways and means of doing this. This is not about politicians or HSE and who's right. It's about the patient and providing them with the service they require and deserve, which can be done in Navin. Piling patients onto other overcrowding hospitals where our colleagues are feeling the strain and cannot cope is not the answer. I say to the government and HSE, no more uncertainty. Enough about reconfiguration. It hasn't worked and it's not working. Invest in Navin. Make it safe. And for once, Do what's right if you really are concerned about patient safety. The 23 hospital and A&E consultants in Drogheda who penned a letter to the Minister for Health in the last 10 days outlining that the HSE's decision 
would be a dangerous decision for our patients. They also blew the HSE claim that only five patients a day would have to go from Meath to Drogheda. The, the figures that they produced from the HSE's own data system said that 47 patients every day would have to go from our hospital to Drogheda to wait on that waiting list. And why do they say it needs to be closed? They say it's not safe because there's no acute surgery services in our hospital. Who closed the acute surgery services in our hospital? The HSE did. And the HSE. Some of the voices from uh, the hospital protest rally in Navan. That is uh, the chair of uh, the Save Navan Hospital campaign, Patter Tobin, bringing our programme to its conclusion today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.